Welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast, where the best in the biz come to talk all things fitness, nutrition, overcoming challenges, to helping you on your journey to greatness. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome. Welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast. I am your host, Coach P, and this week we are diving all into a very popular and yet one area of fitness that needs a lot more attention than what it's getting. We're going to talk all about recovery, everything recovery from the tools to the science to how to actually apply this to your fitness regimes and your overall daily lifestyles in order to get the most out of your training. Most of the time when I'm working with athletes or when I'm talking with students or individuals in general who are trying to learn how to improve the gains and the progress that they're getting from their performance is they never talk about how they're going to program recovery. Recovery is the most important thing because this is the time where we grow. This is the time where we adapt. This is where we heal from injuries and the microtrauma that we've caused to our bodies once we've applied that stress. And if we do not recover properly, it becomes very, very difficult for us to get the most out of our fitness programs. And if we do not recover well, we'll never make progress. We will never make gains. Recovery is a crucial component of any exercise program, and it's during this that our body adapts to not only the physical stress of exercise, but where we also repair and rebuild tissues, strengthen muscles. So let's go through some awesome evidence-based strategies for optimizing recovery so that we can get the most out of what we're doing on a day-to-day basis in our fitness worlds. And so in the first thing I want to talk about before we actually get into all the different areas of recovery is talk about what happens when we put stress onto the body. What does it do to us when we work out and we break down muscle tissue, we go for a long run? All of this is a positive stress on the body. It is a function of hormesis. When we put a good positive stress on the body and it causes us to adapt in a proficient way to grow stronger, to improve our cardiovascular system, whatever it might be. And so when it comes to recovery, we need to understand the nature of the response that's placed on the human body. And what we have is called the general adaptation syndrome, otherwise known as gas. And we teach this in exercise physiology. And what this states is whenever you present the body with a brand new stimulus that the body is not used to, it undergoes what called what's what's known is the alarm stage. And the alarm stage is when we start to feel a significant pushback from the body where you'll see performance usually go down, whether that's in the form of, res- uh, of soreness or a decrease in performance temporarily. This is usually that time period where people will start to experience a lot of delayed onset muscle soreness, otherwise known as DOMS, which is very, very common condition that occurs after exercise that cause a great degree of soreness and stiffness. This is usually when we'll see an increased level of stress or fatigue. But then as we continue to work out and continue to go through our programs of design correctly, this is when we enter the resistance stage. And once we enter the resistance stage, this is where we start to really start to make progress. Our body starts to get stronger, starts to get better. And so when we handle all of the different aspects of recovery well, we can really get the most out of our training programs. And so what we need to understand is after an acute bout of exercise, when you've really gone ham on your workouts, especially at the beginning of a brand new resistance training program where you're taking up the volume consistently than what you're used to, one of the biggest experiences that most people will get at first is called delayed onset muscle soreness. 
And delayed onset muscle soreness, also known as DOMS, is a very common condition that occurs after exercise. And it usually occurs in a lot of people after an abrupt increase in volume. Okay, so if you've been out of the game for a long time and you quickly take your volume up in the workouts that you're doing, or you're brand new to training and you're doing a new stimulus, delayed onset muscle soreness is very, very common. And why it's called delayed onset muscle soreness is although you did experience the trauma and broke down muscle tissue, right then and there in that moment, it actually takes longer for your body to actually process and for you to understand for your body to understand that it has that pain. It's it's due to the inflammation response. Okay. And the due to why it takes that long time, because it takes 24 to 48 hours for that inflammatory immune response or immune response to kick in after exercise. And by the time muscle soreness actually kicks in, it's too late for you to realize that it was caused by a muscle tear. Okay. And so when we look at that immune response, it's that's where you're when you, when you start to feel that pain at its peak 24 to 20 hours later. Okay. And this is most likely because the immune system response is causing the enhanced swelling in the axial muscle tissue and is putting pressure on those receptors within that muscle tissue. That is why you're feeling all of that pain. And oftentimes the reason why you have such sensitivity to touch sensation and pain sensation is because there's a lot of interactions going on at that time. And you're activating all these touch sensors that actively inhibit the fibers that are controlling that pain signal. And so in order to help reduce this, okay, there's a number of things you can do. The first thing to be completely honest when when it comes to helping improve delayed onset muscle soreness is time. <laughs> it takes time for the immune system response to go away after your body has started to heal. Now, one of the worst things you can do when it comes to managing DOMS or delayed onset muscle soreness is nothing. Don't do nothing because that will not do anything to speed up the process of recovery. But what you should do is continue to move, you know, to the best of your ability, continue to go through ranges of motion, to continue to try your best to alleviate it. You can often do some sort of light stretching to alleviate the soreness. Um, but oftentimes this will actually be the incorrect thing to do um, due to the fact that it could potentially put even more pressure and although it will, in a proprioceptive way, release, you know, a, some of that tension, it will actually cause it to come back and respond in a way that's going to increase the inflammatory signal. And so if you're sore after working out, oftentimes one of the best things you can do, especially to help with uh, that, that, uh, that increased soreness level, then you might want to actually do a little bit of light cardiovascular training instead, okay? Because what cardiovascular training will actually do, especially lighter cardio, when performed the day after your workout, can actually help alleviate that soreness because oftentimes we find that the inflammatory signal is coming from free radicals being released from the mitochondria. Then the mitochondria are the aspects of your cells that are the powerhouses of your cells. And no matter what happens when you are going through glycolysis and breaking down carbohydrates into energy, what happens is, is when we go through metabolism, especially through aerobic metabolism, this is where free radicals tend to leak out. And they can, they can have a massive inflammatory signal on the body. But what we can do is in order to take, first we take mechanical tension on pulling on the fibers and lack of free radicals escaping the mitochondria, we can, that can actually cause a, a great deal of uh, muscle damage. And so what we can do is that low level exercise can actually move a lot of that 
a, a lot of those free radicals out of the bloodstream to be processed in throughout the cardiovascular system. So this is why doing light cardiovascular training or light aerobic training is so important when it comes to <clears throat> helping individuals recover. And so light aerobic, just to put it mildly, light aerobic exercise can help increase blood flow. And yes, for lack of a better word, get rid of toxins and push out things that are causing that increased inflammatory signal. So this is one way we're doing very, very light aerobic exercise can be very, very impactful for helping you recover from delayed onset muscle soreness and acute muscle soreness that happens after workouts. In addition, you can also do things like percussion or vibration therapy. So it's really, really popular nowadays for individuals to possess a lot of these vibration massage guns uh, and doing things like foam rolling and utilizing active release techniques with doing massage balls or whatever that you have access to. And these can actually do very, very similar things because they, it, they count as low level exercise where it's moving blood flow in and out of the tissue and helping get rid of some of those substances that might be causing that increased inflammatory response and sending that signal to cause pain. So although you're not gonna be doing anything to actually cause the breakdown of tissue or regenerate tissue, because we know a lot of times people will be like, oh, foam rolling, you're breaking down scar tissue. That's actually impossible to do with foam rolling um, or a massage gun for that matter. But you can move you can move blood flow and you can increase blood flow to those areas and that can help with overall recovery. So utilizing those tools can be very, very significant in helping with the recovery process. And so it can be advised that if you're going to use those techniques that after a, a acute bout of soreness, doing very, very light aerobic activity plus the usage of those vibration or percussion uh, tools can be very beneficial post-workout or even the evening of. We also know that in the evenings that muscle tends to tense up and sarcomeres tend to contract in order to help in order to help maintain levels of flexibility as well stretching in the evenings can also be very very beneficial so let's continue to move forward now as you know we know how to work with soreness and we know how to overcome it and that it does require time and the more that you continue to exercise and become used to that stimuli the less likely you are to become impacted by soreness and let me also be making sure that this is uh, prominent as well. Soreness is not an indication of progress. You can continue to make progress and not be crazy sore, right? Just because you're not sore does not mean that you haven't broken down tissue and that you haven't actually done work in the gym. You should feel like you've trained, okay? But you shouldn't feel crazy sore every time you go to the gym. And we can talk about this when we talk about the styles of training, particularly when it comes to muscular failure. And although muscular failure is great and can be utilized in the proper way, when overdone, that can lead to things like overreaching and overtraining, which is something that we don't want. Overreaching is good when used properly, um, but we need to make sure that we're not doing it too much. We'll talk about that um, as we get further into our program today. Um, but the next thing I want to talk about is the main things when it comes to recovery, and that is sleep and nutrition. And if you are not getting adequate levels of sleep, it becomes very, very difficult for the body to upregulate levels of mitosis and cell division and muscle protein synthesis. And if you're not getting high quality of sleep of at least seven to nine hours, which is absolutely essential for proper tissue repair and growth, that you are doing yourself a major disservice when it comes to your progress. Sleep is the foundation for all principles and aspects of health. And if you are not sleeping adequately, it is gonna become very difficult for 
for you to make progress. Particularly when it comes to the body's release of growth hormone. If you want the natural release of growth hormone, you also need to make sure that you are sleeping adequately, but not only adequately, but consistently. And what we see from new circadian rhythm research, that if your sleep is all over the place, as far as not having a consistent sleep and wake time, this can actually alter the release of growth hormone in the night. And if you do not have a synchronized time each and every night, you will actually miss out on that release of growth hormone because you continue to push your your body clock forward and backward through a process called slow of creating social jet lag, which is also going to create circadian issues because we know that the circadian rhythm is independent of actual sleep. And so you can cause difficulty with recovery if you are not A, going to bed at the same time every night and waking up at the same time every day and B, actually getting the duration and the quality of sleep that you need every evening. And we know that for, for most adults and athletes who are working out, you need at least seven to nine hours consistently of that time. And, uh, you know, I've gone over so many different tools before to improve overall sleep hygiene. And the best ways to improve sleep are going to be the following. I'm going to take you through a number of things that I always, you know, instruct my athletes and instruct anyone that I work with um, in, in the classroom when I'm teaching. The first and foremost thing to improve sleep is to make sure that you are going to bed at the same time every night and waking up at the same time every day. This is going to make it consistent for your body to be able to align its circadian rhythms with particular times of the day. Now, in order for this to work properly as well, you also need to make sure that you're getting the right stimulus from certain zitgevers. And zitgevers are aspects, certain stimuli that influence our circadian clock. So zitgevers are anything from light to the timing of when we eat, when we exercise, and so on and so forth. So if we want to make sure that our body clock is in optimal alignment, first, we go to bed at the same time every day and wake up at the same time every day. Second, we get optimal light exposure. Light exposure both in the morning and the evening in a particular way acts as anchors for our circadian rhythm. So not only does our body need a light switch turned on, as it were, it also needs a light switch turned off in order to properly regulate the timing of certain processes that happen in your body on a day-to-day -day basis. So what I recommend to everyone is first thing in the morning, get as much bright light from the sun outside as you possibly can. This is going to be significantly important when it comes to anchoring your circadian rhythms and making sure that you keep on track with your body and when it regulates the expression of particular genes and particular processes in the human body. The next thing is making sure that you are also getting exposure to low-level light in the evening from the sunset. And this can act as an additional anchor because when you get that low-level light from the sunset, this is another additional cue due to the wavelength of the sun at that time of day that also anchors your body to understanding that it is nighttime and can begin the, the down-regulation of certain processes and starting another cascade of functions that gets your body ready to down-regulate and get ready for bed. Combined with this, after this point, you then want to make sure that you're not getting very, very little exposure to light after that point. Because we do know that when you're exposed to high levels of blue light from cellular, from phone devices, from TVs, um, and your computers, that this can delay the onset of melatonin and make it very, very difficult for you to fall asleep later that night. Not only this, but you can, but the light that's also coming from external sources in your home, whether it's from ceiling light or even turning the light on in your bathroom or even having night lights on in your room can also 
negatively impact melatonin release and make it really, really difficult for you to fall and stay asleep. And so we need to make sure that we are being responsible for the amount of light exposure we're getting in the evenings. And if we are going to be on our computers to watch TV with family or doing whatever we're doing in the evening, that we are having some sort of blue light blocking or we are at least dimming our light sources as best as we possibly can. Incandescent lights and of orange glows are highly recommended. Using things like salt lamps are all going to be very, very proficient in the hours leading up to bed and then making sure that your bedroom is as dark as it possibly can be. The next thing is making sure that you're avoiding the usage of caffeine after 11 a.m. to noon area. Because of the half-life of caffeine, it can still remain in your bloodstream past 8 o'clock if you're consuming your caffeine early on in the day. And the way the caffeine works is it acts on your adenosine receptors and delays the overall buildup of adenosine, which is what will eventually trigger you to start feeling sleepy to fall asleep. And so caffeine does not actually give you energy. It just delays the sleepiness feeling. And so although, especially when you are um, really, really sensitive to caffeine and haven't been drinking it for a while, yes, that can act as a stimulant and definitely pep you up. And it always acts as a stimulant in that way. But as you continually to habitually use it over and over and over, you need more and more and more to get that same effect. But as you continue to use more and more and more because of a stimulant-like effect, it can also push you into be overly sympathetic and can have a negative impact on things such as cortisol. And if your cortisol is out of regulation throughout the day and you're overly stressed and you combine that with a high stressful job and a high stressful life where you're continually going back and forth, that this can make it very, very difficult for you to unwind and get more into a parasympathetic state when you are actually getting down to it when it comes to sleeping. And so we really need to keep these things in mind when it comes to getting better rest. Something to keep in mind as well is cutting everything cold turkey does not work at all when it comes to doing these things. It's a step in the right direction, but it, if you've been someone who is a workaholic, you've been working a ton and you're working out too, and you're doing fitness and you got a lot going on in your life, whether it's with your job or your family and you're drinking a whole bunch of stimulants and you're constantly being exposed to sources of dopamine and so on and so forth, it's going to take a little bit of time for your body to reset and get to a point to where things start to become more regular with your circadian rhythms when it comes to optimizing your health. So all these considerations you need to make as far as just being consistent with good habits and within one to two weeks, you should start seeing improvements when it comes to doing these activities, but you have to do them due diligence and you have to be consistent with them for it to be optimal for your overall sleep. So this is just a little a little introduction into how to improve your sleep and how to help this for recovery. Because if you're not getting adequate sleep, you are not going to be able to recover fully. Let's continue to move on now onto the next thing that we need to be aware of when it comes to overall recovery and how we can recover the absolute best to making sure that we're achieving progress. And that's looking at your, your nutritional strategies. If you are not eating enough calories for your needs and the right compositions, it's going to make it very difficult to also recover from physical activity. Whether your goals are to maintain your level weight, uh, your body weight currently, to lose weight, or to gain weight properly when trying to build muscle. Absolutely essential that you are getting the proper amount of nutrition because nutrition plays a critical role in recovery, particularly when it comes to consuming the right amount of protein to support muscle repair and growth and making sure that you're consuming carbohydrates that help replenish glycogen stores, which are often depleted during exercise. And when you're not consuming enough food, it becomes very, very difficult for your body to have the actual sustenance it needs to actually build up 
up tissues and repair tissues. It requires energy for our body to build. And if you're not consuming enough food, you will consistently be running yourself into the ground and causing even more stress that will cause issues. So we have to, and a lot of times I find that people, uh, many people that I work with are simply under eating protein. So it becomes absolutely essential that you understand that making sure that you're eating enough food in the right amounts of each macronutrient is super important as well. Not only that, but the types of sources of foods that we're consuming, especially when it comes to fat. We need a great deal of healthy fats for proper hormonal function when it comes to recovery and the way that our body responds to stress. But if we're not getting healthy fats and we're getting a lot of our foods that are processed, this is also going to cause potential issues when it comes to our nutritional strategies for overall recovery. And when it comes to recovery, this is what I usually recommend to most people. If you're trying to determine your total daily energy expenditure, you can utilize one of the dietetics equations that we often use in dietetics, either the revised Harris-Benedict equation or the Mifflin-St-Jory equation. And there's a lot of different calculators that you can find online that can help you based off of your gender and your activity levels estimate what your total daily energy expenditure is. And once it gives you that estimation of what those calories are, then when you start to track your calories, you can start to figure out, okay, then these are the amounts of food that I need. When it comes to the amount of protein that I usually recommend, if you are someone who is active and constantly doing resistance training and you are breaking down muscle tissue and you are active, then I usually recommend at least 1.7 grams per kilogram of body weight up to one gram per pound of body weight. And for and an average individual, let's say, weighs approximately 160 pounds. It's going to be anywhere from around 140 to 160 grams of protein per day. And so, and that's going to be very, very important because most people in the common American Western diet do not consume enough protein for these needs. In addition, we also have to make sure that we are getting proper fluids and staying hydrated. Because if we are not staying hydrated, this will also impact our ability not only to recover, but also to perform, especially when it comes to electrolyte-rich fluids. One of the biggest things that often happens with athletes and people who are working out constantly is they are actually low in electrolytes. Sometimes it's important to make sure that you're actually, for athletes, you know, now this is you know, high blood pressure aside, if you are someone who is at risk of hypertension or high blood pressure or has high blood pressure, then ignore the following advice. This is the, you are the types of populations that do need to keep sodium intake under control. But when it comes to individuals who do not have problems with high blood pressure or hypertension and they are athletes and they are always working out and consistently being physically active, then oftentimes it's important to actually add salt to your intake and make sure that you're having enough sodium in your diet to be able to accomplish for the significant loss of electrolytes that occur during exercise. Because if you're exercising hard for an hour to an hour and a half per day and you're being physically active, walking everywhere throughout the day, you could lose upwards of anywhere from two and a half to five grams of salt. Uh, and in order to replenish that for optimal, not only muscle contraction, but also cognitive function and just normal processes throughout the body, you need to restore that sodium. So it becomes super, super important oftentimes to making sure we're also replacing electrolytes for proper hydration and proper function of the human body. And just to touch on further how certain macronutrients can be really beneficial for overall recovery, carbohydrates in particular have specifically been seen to help, especially when consumed in the evenings, with recovery as well, because carbohydrates can upregulate serotonin release, which is your happy hormone, and can also lower stress and lower your perceived level of stress, which can also improve your quality of sleep. 
And so what we also know is that carbohydrates can actually blunt cortisol, all right, and can actually help manipulate cortisol in a positive way. And with cortisol being a major stress hormone, this is where we can really utilize the carbohydrates properly. And we, if we utilize carbohydrates at a time of day where we're active and then even, you know, try to consume more of them in the latter part of the day, we can really get the benefits of recovery when it comes to this carbohydrate consumption, not only for the restoration of muscle glycogen, but to also upregulate our recovery and also make us happy at the same time. So it's an, it's, I see this as an absolute win to quote Mark Ruffalo in Avengers <laughs> when, when he's playing around with Paul Rudd and making him short and small and, and all the other crazy things in that movie for all my Avengers fans out there. Um, but with that being said, now let's go right into cortisol, our next area of, of concentration. And when it comes to cortisol, first, we all need to understand that Cortisol is not the devil, okay? Cortisol is actually very, very important, all right? And cortisol is a very, uh, it's a very important hormone that is responsible for a cascade of, of processes in the body, whether it's to get you up first thing in the morning or control other upregulatory processes. But when it comes to its impact on stress, all right, it can ne negatively impact recovery when it is not regulated. And when cortisol levels are too high, that's what can not only impair muscle protein synthesis and delay recovery, but can also push you into a more sympathetic tone overall. And when you are out of balance with your autonomic nervous system in a constant state of stress, it makes it very, very difficult to relax. It up, it makes it, uh, it has a negative impact on heart rate variability. It increases resting heart rate and blood pressure. Uh, it increases levels of anxiety and emotional and negative emotional resilience in a lot of individuals. Uh, and it can cause a myriad of health impact effects. And so, and the, and the dysregulation of cortisol can also upregulate the addition of adiposity in the, in the, upper region of the body. And so it can increase abdominal fat. Um, so it becomes very, very important that we manage cortisol in a healthy way when it comes to managing our progress and fitness and overall recovery. And so, and one of the first things we need to do to help with cortisol levels is to not only have a healthy diet and and to be sure that we're getting adequate sleep, but to also make sure that we are also not only managing our stimulant intake as well, such as caffeine, because drinking too much caffeine on top of a stressed out state will also have a negative impact on cortisol. But we also need to make sure we're taking time out of the day to actually regulate our nervous system manually. And the way that we can do this is by stimulating the vagus nerve through things like utilizing stress reducing techniques such as yoga, meditation, or even deep diaphragmatic breathing exercises, because we know that the diaphragm, your main breathing muscle is directly innervated to that vagus nerve. And when you really focus on deep diaphragmatic breathing, not only can you learn to control your heart rate and get your heart rate down, you can folk, you can be able to detach yourself from emotion, the more and more proficient you become in meditation and breath work, and you can learn how to really get yourself into a more relaxed state. There is more and more credible research coming out that shows a strong significance with the impact that breath work and meditation has on your overall stress levels and can help you with recovery. The ways that this can also be related to your workouts is when that you are doing, and this is something that I've learned from Dr. Andy Galpin, who is a major exercise physiologist in our industry, where on the Dr. Huberman, on the Huberman Lab podcast was talking about how one of the best things you can do for recovery after your workouts is to literally cool down 
and for three to five minutes perform breath work. Because what breath work can do is it kickstarts your recovery process at the end of your training session. So what you need to remember about exercise is exercise is a stress on the human body. And when you exercise and you do it hard and you train well, you're creating a very, very high peak of stress, all right? And you're initiating a high level of sympathetic tone. And this can cause release of adrenaline and everything so and everything forward. And so, and when you have that really high peak of stress, you are equally met with as an extremely sharp recovery right back down. And so, and what happens is, is if you're working out and you create a really, really hard workout and you really kick your ass in the gym, it is really common that if you don't actually accommodate yourself by doing a recovery process right afterwards, you will have a very sharp crash about approximately two to three hours later. This is why if you've ever had a hard workout and you came home and about an hour and a half later or two, you just all of a sudden just zoned out, all right, to where you couldn't function for the rest of the day. It was very hard for you to think clearly and you'd be hard to process, hard to do anything. And it's because of that initial, that really, really hard crash that comes down from that adrenal event that took place, that stressful event that took place. In order to remediate this, you can do recovery techniques right after your workout that will help blunt this sharp crash that can occur. And it can help with overall recovery and enhance your recovery to get you ready for the next set of workouts to happen the next day. Okay, and it can really, really help with the overall recovery process. All it takes is five minutes of doing focused relaxation breathing to accelerate the recovery process and the state of your body getting into a more parasympathetic state. So the way that I recommend that you do this is doing anything from triangle to box breathing. And so in the way that you perform either of these, you can do it seated or lying down and you inhale for at least four to six seconds. You're going to hold your breath for that approximate amount of time and then you're gonna fully exhale all your air out for double that time, nice and slowly, anywhere from six to eight seconds, okay? And then pausing slightly before breathing again and then repeating that process. And then when it comes to your attention, you're just focusing on the breath going in and out. You can combine this with also listening to, they've actually done research on this, that listening to slow paced music can enhance your recovery, especially when you do it with this, because it can help you get into that state where you are enhancing your recovery. If you want to combine this with improving diaphragmatic breathing and posture, you can even do this lying down. If you're an individual who is classified as a chest breather and it's very difficult for you to free to use your diaphragm, you can actually lay down on your back, prop up your feet on an elevated surface or a chair so that from your ankles to your knees to your hips makes a 90 degree angle. This allows not only the least tension to be placed on your lower back, but your pelvis will also be in more proper alignment with your rib cage and it will allow for your diaphragm to move up and down much easier and allow you to build better breathing mechanics. Combine this with the box breathing or triangle breathing technique of breath work for five minutes post-workout, and it'll have a tremendous impact on your ability to recover and to carry out the rest of your day. So one of the best things you can do to help manage not only your cortisol, but also to help with your stress. Very, very important. Take the time to cool down and downregulate appropriately. All right, now let's dive into our next area, which is percussion and vibration devices specifically. And we've already touched on this a little bit when it comes to using things like hypervolts and 
the the high technical physical therapy guns and so on and so forth and when it comes to these devices you know they've gained tons and tons of popularity over the years for their ability to reduce muscle soreness and improve recovery i just want to make sure that everyone knows that they do not break down muscle tissue all right but they are very impactful for what they can be used for as far as reducing muscle soreness they can they can they can improve blood flow uh, and improve recovery in that way they can help you get into better positions if you're someone who suffers from postural misalignment uh, or postural-related distortions. And they can actually also increase lymphatic drainage, which can help for which can which can contribute to reduced inflammation and speed recovery up as well. Okay. Now, just to put this out there, they are not magic pills. Okay. You cannot rely on them, but they can be utilized as great tools to not only help with the recovery process when it comes to blood flow, but you can also use them indirectly with improving your mobility practices and your flexibility routines and your post-workout routines. And so when you use them for that, and the way that they can be doing that is they act on muscle spindles and Golgi tendon organs by reducing their tone, and it can help reduce the tone of muscle. And when you combine that, and they've done research with this with foam rolling, looking at how foam rolling can allow you to reduce that tension and get an increased amount of flexibility progress when you combine it with static stretching or dynamic stretching. Um, and it can actually really, really improve your rates of building that flexibility, and that is fantastic. Um, but when used by themselves, they're not gonna enhance flexibility all that much. So when it comes to using them properly, if you want to for the blood flow uh, effect, then simply use them post-workout and often throughout the day. And then if you want to help it with flexibility and mobility, then use them to open up your joints and then perform actual flexibility work and mobility work. You still have to do the work to help improve flexibility and mobility when utilizing these devices. It doesn't permanently help with flexibility unless you do the work on top of it. All right, let's continue to move forward as we continue to get through more advanced levels of therapies that we can do for recovery. And one of the next things is one that's getting a lot of attention in the media today, and that's doing things such as utilizing saunas or cold therapy. Okay, and these are very, very, uh, very prominent currently when it comes to helping with inflammation and improving recovery. We're going to touch on uh, cold therapy first. And so one of the biggest things to know about cold therapy, it is, is very, very beneficial for reducing inflammation of the body, which is fantastic. We also know that doing things like cold therapy, whether it's cold showers or full cold immersion in something like a tub or you know, cold, cold tubs is that it can also have a prominent impact on dopamine and can you, what we see from, and dopamine is your motivation, uh, your motivation neurotransmitter, um, and it helps you make you feel motivated as a reward. And so when you, when you do ice cold, when you do cold therapy, particularly in a tub, um, you see a more steady release of dopamine throughout the course of the day, and it can help you stay motivated. It's a really, really great tool um, for helping you overcome adversity and help you lean into harder challenges. Um, what we do need to be aware of, though, when it comes to using things like cold therapy, although they're fantastic, they should never be used right after a workout. Right? And the reason why is if you use cold therapy right after your workout, it will, as it does, blunt that inflammation response. But when it comes to making progress and gains, building muscle, so on and so forth, you need that inflammation response. You need that to send the signal to the body that says, hey, I'm damaged, I've been stressed, I need to grow. And if you use cold therapy 
right after your workout that can blunt that response. You do not want that. You want to avoid that. So the best way to use cold exposure would be either doing it first thing in the morning when you're away from your workouts or doing it significantly longer, anywhere from three to six hours after your workouts to make sure that the cold exposure does not blunt that inflammation response, that initial inflammation response. And so, so cold therapy, really, really great for inflammation. Just be mindful of when you're using it. Instead, what you could do post-workout is use a sauna because we know that saunas actually increase blood flow. And although they reduce inflammation, they don't do it to the degree of which cold therapy does when it comes to progress from the stress that comes with fitness-related activities. And so you can utilize hot saunas in a proficient way this way, either before or after a workout, to help with blood flow, increase nutrients, and so on and so forth. And we also know that especially using finished saunas where you get the degrees up to at least 180 degrees Fahrenheit, that when you sit in there for at least 18 minutes that we see significant cardiovascular responses in the body that is positive and strengthening the cardiovascular system. We see the upregulation in heat shock proteins, which also increases the uh, proficiency of your immune system. We even see increased levels of protein synthesis that comes from this as well. And so we could do an entire episode on the benefits of hot saunas saunas, uh, which is outside of the scope of this particular episode, but using saunas in this way can be very, very beneficial for not only helping you with your progress with fitness, but increasing your overall health as well. Um, there's been a great deal of research that shows that when you consistently use saunas and the increased dose response that you use saunas throughout the week can make you more resilient towards cardiovascular related events, such as heart attacks um, and stroke, and can be very, very beneficial for individuals who are at higher risk genetically for those particular issues as well. So very, very, and very, very uh, intriguing uh, tools to use for recovery if you have the time to do so. Unfortunately, things like infrared saunas and red light saunas, A, do not have enough research and have shown to not be as proficient as an actual finish hot sauna, dry sauna of actually being able to get that temperature has to reach that point to properly stress the body to get those benefits. And unfortunately, we don't get that from the infrared or the red sauna. So let's continue to move on as we get forward and forward here as far as the tools that we can use to help with recovery. And the only last one that we have here to touch on for today is when it comes to things like supplementation. And when it comes to supplementation, we can utilize certain adaptogens that can help regulate cortisol, um, such as rhodio rosea or even things like ashwagandha have been found to be very, very beneficial. I myself have used ashwagandha before uh, and it can definitely lower cortisol. And the way that they work is they are cortisol modulators that can help keep the levels of cortisol within the normative range. Um, however, the problem with these sometimes, though, is that we need to make sure that we don't use them for long periods of time. They must be cycled somewhat to allow cortisol to still be able to do what it needs to do from a natural perspective. And so because we know that having a healthy level of cortisol is very, very important for mood level, alertness, and immune system function. So we need to make sure that we are, if we go for three months of using an adaptogen, that we also cycle off of it as well, or use a different adaptogen and then come back to it later on. So to making sure that we are staying within normative values. I would not use anything exogenously for a long period of time without giving the body a break. 
let's talk about one more thing that is actually super, super interesting when it comes to acute state shifter stimulants and utilizing things for dopamine. And when it comes to, I get this question a lot. I've had some students come to me before and ask me, does music have a, an effect on the body? And does it, you know, can you get used to listening to the same music over and over and over again? And you absolutely can. And we actually talk about this a lot when it comes to helping people build better habits. And when it comes to people stacking different types of uh, stimuli to help them get through things when it comes to developing certain habits. Yes, things like music and caffeine and pre-workouts and all these things, they can help get you motivated to get into the gym. But then what the problem is, is if you get too used to that and you take it away, it's very, very difficult to perform that activity without those things. And so if you want to continue to get the most out of your acute state shifters as they were, all right, when it comes to utilizing these tools, then you should phase them or at least try to go certain times when you're working out at the gym without using music or without doing pre-workout or without doing some of these things that get you jazzed in the gym. Because one of the biggest things that I get is that this pre-workout doesn't work anymore or this caffeine no longer has the uplifting effect that it used to have on my body when I went to the gym or my music just doesn't get me jazzed up anymore. And it's because your body is literally getting used to them and is no longer getting the same dopaminergic response in the brain and getting motivated from that activity. It's the same thing as needing more and more and more of, a, of the same thing in order to continue to get a response. This is why we usually have dangers when it comes to things like overeating, pornography usage, alcohol usage, drug usage, so on and so forth. And so if you want to make sure that you can consistently stay motivated, try to do physical activity and, reco and recover your nervous system as it were by not utilizing a whole bunch of different sources of stimuli that continue to act on your dopamine receptors, all right? So utilize it music sparingly or change the different style of music or don't always use caffeine when you're going into the gym. Don't always use pre-workout. Mix and match using non-stimulant with stimulant pre-workout if you want to make sure that you're able to recover your nervous system to being more receptive to a lot of these things, because what a lot of people don't understand is that when they overload their system with a whole bunch of sources of dopamine that stimulate that dopaminergic response, they get as an equal amount of crash. This is why oftentimes when people go on vacation, they have this ultimate high, but then they come home and for the next two or three days, they're depressed and they don't understand why. Well, that's because you just had such a high rush of success and motivation and happiness over the time that you're on vacation, but then when you come back home, you just had an equal as a, you had an equal amount of crash on that seesaw of dopamine, as it were. And it takes a couple of days for it to come back to normal and be regulated again. And so this is why oftentimes people recommend after a big win, you know, rather than go all out and do a crazy celebration, try to keep things normal, try to keep things legit, try to keep things stable and say, and being more at peace with things and, and celebrating in a way, but also not getting overly excited to prevent these crashes from happening. So to summarize these things up, and when it comes to overall recovery, there are many things that we can do to help recovery. When we, there's a lot of tools that we can use as well when it comes to looking at things such as body temperature, and there's these aura rings out there now that can tell you your readiness and so on and so forth. We can look at your heart rate, and when, you're, when your resting heart rate is elevated more than normal, 
You can usually see that as you are in a more stressed out state. If you are someone who has been struggling with your sleep or you feel burnt out or you're constantly stressed out, you are definitely an individual who is potentially over uh, overstimulated, overstressed, potentially overreaching or overtraining. And it becomes even more important for you to try and figure out what needs to be done to help you with getting your stress levels low. It can even be as serious as if you're chronically stressed, it can even affect your libido and how you are in relationships. And this is super, super important because when we're trying to have not only the best experiences in life, but also upkeep healthy relationships, this is going to be super, super important, not only for a happy and healthy sexual uh, sexual life but also happy and healthy relationships throughout and so it becomes very 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 important to consider all of the recovery strategies we've mentioned today so just to quickly quickly uh summarize a lot of the big tools that we've mentioned optimal sleep is absolutely essential when it comes to recovery getting consistent high duration seven to nine hours of high quality sleep every single day when it comes to delayed onset muscle soreness, making sure that we are using tools such as light aerobic exercise or doing some sort of vibration recovery devices to help with blood flow. And also understanding that it's gonna take time to overcome things such as uh, delayed onset muscle soreness. Making sure that we are utilizing adequate nutrition, getting enough protein and healthy fats and carbohydrates into our bodies as well to fuel exercise, but also to properly recover from it. Making sure that if we are managing cortisol, that we are also doing this correctly and employing the great many stress techniques that we discussed today that would be very, very proficient in helping an individual not only manage their cortisol, but also overcome stress with things like meditation and breath work, yoga, and other calming types of techniques to help uh, individuals slow down. And also making sure that we're using vibration uh, devices correctly for their desired purposes. And also making sure that if we're going to use things like saunas and cold therapy, that we use them in the specific ways as intended and making sure that we do not blunt that initial acute inflammation response that occurs when it comes to overall adaptation. Overall, when it comes to recovery, you guys, you need to make sure that this is a priority. This is, this is just as in recovery part of your program is just as important as the exercises that you're lifting. Put as much intensity as you do putting into your squats and your deadlifts as you put, put that energy as well into the way that you recover. Because if you're not putting as much of an emphasis on your ability to recover, you are doing yourself a disservice and will continue to spin your wheels and will never get the goals in performance and weight loss and in fitness that you are trying to achieve. Continue to follow us here at Evolve. It's always a great pleasure to talk with you all for all the questions that you might have further on recovery, making sure that you're getting the most out of your fitness. Be sure to check everything that we have on our Evolve pages on Instagram, Facebook, and, and everywhere else that we put out information. Please be sure that if you want, if you like this episode, to drop a like, drop a review down in the Apple Podcasts area, or give us a high rating on Spotify. We would love to continue to also hear what questions you may have please reach out to us on all our Instagram pages and you can find all of our accounts below in the description or continue to listen for more information in our outro. It's been awesome talking with you guys today. I can't wait to see you in the next episode and I'll see you next time. This has been Coach P and I'll see you later. Coach P's out.
Do you want to work with us and becoming the best version of yourself? Be sure to check our coaching application down in the bio to get more information about how to get the best in fitness and nutrition coaching from the Evolve Coaches. Be sure to check out all of our information and great content we put out every single day on our Instagram and our Facebook group. Be sure to check us out on EvolvedHealthAndPerformance.com for more information and keep tuning in to the Evolved Athlete Podcast for the best in everything fitness, nutrition, and becoming the best version of yourself. We'll see you in the next one. Evolve team out.